Welcome to the Equip Podcast. Here you'll find conversations from people of all different walks of life, sharing their experiences, the things the Lord has taught them, and things to equip you. Equip is based on Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that talks about equipping God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is our goal here, to build you up and equip you through seasons of ups and downs in life. Welcome back to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson, and today we're talking about addiction. I'm joined in the studio by mother-daughter duo, Angela and Abby Kilgore. Ladies, will y'all introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hey, cool. yeah. Sorry. Ahead, this is me, Abby. Um, I am part of the women's ministry team here uh, at Green Acres, and uh, it's been great being here. Um, but I am the youngest daughter of Angela, and uh, yeah, it's pretty great. All right. I'm Angela, and I am married to Craig Kilgore for 34 years now. We have three daughters. Um, Abby said she's our youngest. We, I was a stay-at-home mom, very called to that, very specifically, which kind of plays into my story that you'll um, hear about in a little bit, how that Satan kind of turned that around on me. And um, the probably the thing that's I love, I'm loving the most right now are my four grandkids, and I'm full-time shiggy to them. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm just loving life with them basically every day, all day, and I have a new puppy. Oh, love a new puppy. Uh, ladies, I'm so glad that y'all are here today to share your story. Um, Angela, I know that you have struggled with addiction, so will you kind of share with us um, how that came about? All right. Well, the truth is, started at birth. Um, science proves that 15% of the population are born with addictive brains. Wow. I'm sure there's like a professional term for that. I sure. don't know it, but you kind of get it. So when 85% of the population takes any mood-altering substance, in my case, opioids, pain pills, hydrocodone to be exact, they feel sluggish. They feel uncomfortable. They don't really like the way it makes them feel out of control. They may take it for a day or two and then change to Tylenol Advil. When I take the same thing, I really do feel euphoric. I feel like my best self. Um, it makes me just feel wonderful. And that's because I have an addict's brain. Um, so the answer is I was born with it. But I think what you're looking for is when it turned on. Well, and I think it's interesting that you said you feel like your best self. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's very much a lie that the yeah, world is sure. telling us to be your best self, live into your best life. But what feels like your best self may not be what Jesus has called you to do and oh, to be. Absolutely. I mean, it's a synthetic form of my best self. It's mm -hmm. not the truth. Mm -hmm. And it also, the other side of the crash of that is my worst self. Mm. And so it's, but it, it's just part of the deal. It's, it's an, an addict's brain. It really turns it on into something that you feel wonderful. Yeah. Um, the tie-in that I talked about being a stay-at-home mom, and I said that was going to tie into my story, um, I was completely content as a stay-at-home mom. That's what I wanted to do. That's what God created me to do. I was very good at it. I, every gift I have is geared for that. Every talent he gave me is geared for that. Um, but we weren't created to be completely content with anything other than the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, even good things like our kids or our calling. When they become everything, we're kind of turned in that we turn them into idols. And God won't stand for his for idols in his kids' lives. Not ever. So what happens to the stay-at-home mom who's made idols out of her children? So when they start when my girl started leaving home, when college kind of started happening in her life, 
um, that's when my addiction turned off. Well, Scripture tells us that that the enemy prowls around looking for people to destroy, mm-hmm. and he waits, and he is always looking for opportunity, and he's very patient. Um, that's that's um, his single solitary goal for believers because he knows he can't have us for eternity, but he does try to destroy our witness, destroy, tries to destroy our lives. So he laid in wait for my family, clearly in finding my pride as a mom because I was good at it, like I said. But he turned, just like we say that Satan turned, God can turn evil into good. Satan can turn good into evil Mm. the same way. Um, I, I do specifically remember getting in the mail the first one, my oldest daughter, Courtney. It was a Wednesday afternoon. It was a normal day. A first letter from a college came in the mail, and something really inside me broke. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that I could describe it to you. It was very specific feeling. Um, it was kind of proof in my hand that my girls were leaving, and there was nothing I could do about it. At the same time, I was having problems with kidney stones. Mm-hmm. And this was before the opioid crisis was really um, well-known, mm-hmm. and so there was pretty much an endless supply of pain pills. And so I had physical pain. It was paired with emotional pain, paired with an addictive brain, and really too much pride to tell anybody that mm-hmm. I was drowning. And you put all that together, and an addict is born. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened to me. So at what point in that process did you realize that you needed help? And I that- didn't. I okay. Okay. <laughs> at all. I um, I was surprised by a very public, very humiliating intervention. Mm-hmm. And so what I thought was a, was hidden and in secret was not. And so when that came to light, my family went into full mode. And so I was kind of one of those people that was drug kicking and screaming to rehab. And, and how many years had you been addicted before this? I would say probably, let's see, this happened in 2009. Um, probably three, four. Okay. Maybe it had, maybe. Okay. And then your drug kicking and screaming to rehab. What (laughs) was that like? It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't the best day ever. (laughs) No, it wasn't the best day ever. Um, I actually thought I was on the Dr. Phil show, to be honest with you. It was (laughs) terrible because it was, I thought it was a surprise birthday party. It was terrible because oh all gosh. my favorite people were there and my family, my friends. And I, it was three days before my birthday. Yeah. And I go into a room and I'm like, yes. And because I, I have a very strong wing seven where everything's fun. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, I, it really quickly turned into a terrible party <laughs> for me. <laughs> That's quick. And Abby, you were there for that, right? Yes. So it was. A little different for me. I, I found out about everything that was going on on the way to the intervention, um, which I'm grateful for now. It was obviously really hard in that moment of just getting all this information about what had been going on in our family. Uh, and at the same time, I realize now, like, my family did a really great job of protecting me from that. I was uh, 13 or 14 at the time, so really young. And um, they just protected me from that information for a long time. And it's interesting because like life before all of this was still really great. I think like 
one thing that's important to be made known is that, um, man, as, as much as mom changed after rehab, um, it, she was always a great mom. Uh, I'm not just saying that cause you're here, but it's just the <laughs> truth is that you were a great mom before and you're still a great mom. Um, but you're a completely different person at the same time in some really important ways, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit more. Um, but, um, yeah, that day was a surprise and, um, just, it was the first thing in my life that hadn't gone right. I guess we were very um, fortunate to have a really close family, a family that loves the Lord. And so my life had been really easy until that moment. Uh, and uh, yeah, so a very uh, su- big surprise for both of us in different ways. But yeah, surprise nonetheless. Okay, so Abby and you have this really hard day as this intervention and your other family and friends are there. And then you go to rehab. We tell us a little bit about what rehab looks like for you? Well, gosh, so many things. Um, I didn't see it at first. Remember, I hadn't, you know, I didn't know that I was, I didn't check myself in. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in people that check themselves in and people that don't know they're going. Yeah. And so it took some time, actually almost two weeks to be exact. My brother and sister-in-law, they took me, um, we had to fly somewhere. And when I was thinking about this podcast, I thought, gosh, you know, I don't even know where, I don't know where we flew. Hmm. And we must have flown, it had to be Austin or San Antonio because it was close to Kerrville. Mm-hmm. Kerrville's where I ended up. Um, but I wasn't really talking to the people I was with at the moment. So I didn't ask, you know, hey, where are we going? And so I really, I was looking at my notes, deciding what I was going to talk about today. And I thought, I don't know where I went. Hmm. But um, my rehab center was there. It was called La Hacienda. Okay. And it's funny because it's still not a place I can go eat. You know, there's a restaurant uh-huh. called La yeah. <laughs> And and it was about a year or two after my brother was in town, and he's like, "Let's go to La Hacienda." And I'm like, "Ooh!" I mean, it literally gave me like a shiver. Mm. And he he goes, "What? What?" And I go, "I can't I can't go to La Hacienda for fun." And he goes. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I forgot too soon. I'm like, yeah, yeah, way too soon. But um rehab was great. Was I'd call it a great crushing and rebuilding experience. My my first night there, I was like in such shock from the intervention that my heart actually kept skipping. And mm-hmm. so they had to be I had to be hooked up to a monitor. Mm-hmm. Um I truly actually wanted to die. It's it's so interesting because it's just my truth. It's where I totally understood the Trinity for the first time. Because if you think about it, I didn't need a savior. I was a believer. Mm-hmm. I didn't need conviction. So the Holy Spirit was not something I was literally crushed. But I just needed a father. I needed comfort. Because if you think about it, everybody that was important in my life, everybody that were idols in my life had said, you can't be part of our life anymore. Unless something changes. And so I didn't see how something could really change. And so I just needed unconditional love, you know, because I wasn't feeling unconditionally loved at the time, even though as I look back as a healthy person, it was the most loving thing they could ever do for me. Mm -hmm. But let's just be honest. At the moment, I felt thrown away. I felt disposable. Mm -hmm. And... So I just needed God. I needed that father figure to say, you know what? You're mine. If you never change, Mm -hmm. you're mine. And it's going to be a hard road, but I'm never leaving you. 
And so that's exactly what I got. And you, you could, no one will ever tell me that God didn't sit on the end of that bed with me in rehab the first night because I felt him so clear. And it wasn't like I had made any changes. It was, he was the only one that can be there because people make terrible gods. They can't be there for you in every situation. And as much as they love me and as much as they wanted the best for me, they couldn't be there. But only God can be there Mm -hmm. in those kind of situations. And he will never leave, no matter if you change or you don't change. How long were you in rehab? I was in rehab 30 days, and it was awesome. It was so awesome. With the first, it's funny because my brother left me with a journal, and he left. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't hugging. I was I was basically punishing. And so he hugged me, handed me a journal, an empty journal, told me he loved me, and they left. So immediately that first, whenever I kind of got out of the fog, mm-hmm. probably first couple of days afterwards, I opened the journal and I made 30 tick marks down like I was in prison. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I'll show them. I'm going to do this 30 days. And then I don't know what I thought then, but I just thought this, I've got to, and then I'll get out of here and life will go on. Um, and so at a bad, so every single day when I was kind of rebellious, when I was thinking it was about them, when I was angry, mm-hmm. and when I was pointing fingers at everybody except myself, I just ticked off, ticked off. And about day 13, 14, the ticking stops. Mm-hmm. You can see, and I love that part of my journal. It just stops. And it was, it's like the fog lifted for me and... And that's when my healing really started. And it was awesome. It was amazing. My time in rehab was private and wonderful. And it was it was interesting for me because remember, I don't I mean you don't know my background, but I'm a church girl. Mm-hmm. I my dad was a Baptist preacher. I went to private Christian schools from in high school and college. I love church. I was never rebellious towards church. And so I did a lot of good things, you know, taught in the youth, raised my girls, married the good godly guy, all the good things. And, but alongside of that, I had this hidden lifestyle that, I don't know, I was just building, I I don't know, I was just building, I guess, good works Hmm. into my faith even though I didn't believe in that. That's kind of what my life proved out. And so I, when I got to rehab, I remember that my, my brother and sister had tried to find a Christian rehab, which I'm not positive there is. I'm sure there is. I, don't, I haven't researched any rehabs. But my, this rehab has what they call a Christian track. Okay. And so it, you could go to the chapel at sunset, sunrise, and you could go at noon to this meeting. And so immediately... I start doing those things because I'm the Christian girl and I'm going to go to the things and I, so I can be known as the good Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was, God was so funny and he was so clear to me of like, are you really proud of yourself for being the best Christian at rehab? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, he, he was just so clear to me and that's what I just love about him. When you're listening, he's so clear. And he said, can you not, it can it not just be me and you? Yeah. What can you get up with 
and just be me and you at five o'clock or do you have to be in front of people? Mm-hmm. And it was the biggest turnaround in my life as far as my relationship with the Lord. And that's where I just fell intimately in love with time alone with the Lord. And that's where I fell in love with journaling. And that's where my life changed. So did you get to see any of your family or friends or anybody during rehab? I saw my, it took, for 10 days, I didn't get to see anybody. Okay. And that was very hard. Um, Because remember, they're my little idols. Mm-hmm. And I we have a very close family. And so that was tough. And then after 10 days, the girls and Craig came to visit. Mm-hmm. And then my husband is literally the best. And he... Every he could come there. We had two hours on Sunday that family could be there, and it's six hours away. And he would drive to Austin, spend the night with my brother, and then drive two hours, drive to Kerrville. I don't know how far it is, and see me for two hours and leave, and take the drive all the way back home on Sunday night. And the mm-hmm. girls came twice. Yeah, once or twice. I remember yeah. for sure once, mm-hmm. um, but I think it was twice now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and then I got to see my big family, which mm-hmm. mean my my mom and my siblings once. That was not good. <laughs> but that was a process that we had to go through. But yeah, we got I got to see Craig every week mm-hmm. and the girls a couple times. So Abby, while your mom was in rehab for those thirty days, what were you doing at home? What was that yeah? Like you just found out that she's dealing with this addiction. There's an intervention. She goes to rehab. And what are you mm-hmm. doing? Um, I was starting high school. And so I got into, I was playing volleyball at the time. So I, thankfully I had a really busy schedule with practices and games and all of that. And so that was helpful in the sense that I, I was kept busy and had people to be with. Um, so that was one thing that was helpful was just having those friends around. Um, it also was the first year that both of my sisters were in college, not just one there were both starting, uh, Kinsey was starting school and Courtney was going back. Uh, and so that my sisters are my best friends. And so, uh, that was hard in and of itself. Um, and then tacking on a lot of all these other things going on with our family. Um, it was definitely a lonely time in my life, but at the same time, um, it was very necessary for me. Um, you've already cried. I'm going to start crying too. Um, but this was a hard time, obviously, but so good because this was like the first time, um, that the Lord had shown me like that he is faithful, um, and that, uh, he doesn't leave his children alone, um, because he took such good care of our family in that time. Um, oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, and, um, yeah, just in even small details such as like, my, our dog, this is really silly, but Georgia, our dog is very obsessed with mom and, uh, and was always sad when mom was gone. And so I remember it thinking like randomly the first day, all this started was, uh, Georgia's going to be like moping around and so sad all the time. And that's going to be really hard just to have another reminder of what's going on. But Georgia was like so happy and normal. And I know that seems like kind of silly and simple, um, but it's just, it's just the details that he cares for in our life. Um, and and that, you know, they, every, do, every detail down to the dog, like that seems very small. Uh, God was in and all of that. Um, and so just seeing his faithfulness, that was really the first time that I understood uh, how good he is and how um, aware of his children, even at the individual level, um, that he is of all of us. And so 
that was really sweet. But also it was the first time that I had realized like, okay, if my mom can find freedom from this struggle in her life, from this sin, then there were things in my life that I was hiding and that I was um, not walking in freedom from. And it was the first time I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe I can be free from my sin too. And I knew the gospel, but I didn't fully grasp it at that point. Um, so this was like the introduction of like, no, like there's actual freedom from sin and there's actual healing from this. And, and that was the Lord opening that door. And so I just hope that you, mom, that you know that like, this was the first time in my life that I really, one, understood God's character more deeply for the first time, but also uh, got to really just see how he could be, um, he could free me as well um, from the sins that I was struggling with. And so very thankful, although it was not a fun time in my life by any means, it was um, the, the most impactful thing in my walk with the Lord so far. Yeah. Man, that's good. Hey, friends, we had such a great interview today with Abby and Angela Kilgore that we have decided to make it a two-part episode. Their story is a powerful testament to the Lord's work and faithfulness and goodness in their lives, and we don't want y'all to miss any of it. So join us next week on Wednesday for part two of Addictions with Abby and Angela Kilgore. Thanks for listening to the Equip Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode drops. And follow us on social media to stay connected. We're at GABC underscore women. See you next time.